I won't let my active psoriatic arthritis joint symptoms define me. Emerge as you. Tremphia guselkumab is proven to significantly reduce joint pain, stiffness, and swelling in adults with active psoriatic arthritis. Some patients even reported less fatigue as assessed by survey one week prior. Results may vary. Tremphia is taken by injection six times a year after two starter doses at week zero and four. Serious allergic reactions may occur. Tremphia may increase your risk of infections and lower your ability to fight them. Before treatment, your doctor should check you for infections and tuberculosis. Tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms of infection including fever, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough. Tell your doctor if you had a vaccine or plan to. Emerge as you. Learn more about Tremphia, including important safety information, at tremphia.com or call 1-877-578-3527. See our ad in Food & Wine magazine. For patients prescribed Tremphia, cost support may be available. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Everybody, welcome to the Roto World Football Show. It is our Week 12 Sunday recap. I am Patrick Darty, joined off the top by Denny Carter. Of course, Kyle DeBorchik will be here later. Zach Kruger, Mark Garcia, a lot of other people, the entire gang. Pretty eventful Sunday. Denny, that began right off the jump with fantasy managers just getting what they wanted out of the Atlanta Falcons. You had the Falcons as 24 to 15 mm-hmm. victory over the New Orleans Saints. We had a, a Bajan commitment going in to the Falcons week 11 by, and it certainly appeared we had a Bijan Robinson commitment coming out of the week 11 by. What did you see in the Falcons backfield? Yeah, it looks like our man, Arthur Smith has capitulated fully to uh, (laughs) the mob that was calling. It's over. That was calling for more Bijan Robinson. They said, you should consider using the, your, your first round draft pick, your elite, (laughs) running back with elite traits. And it seems like Arthur Smith has complied. And so we have finally, if you drafted Bijan Robinson in the first round of your drafts, the first three months or two and a half months are pretty bad, you know, but you're, you're probably going to get a good solid month in here. If you stayed alive and honestly, I'll get into this in a second. The Falcons schedule is, is insanely good from here. So Robinson is looking probably like something close to a league winner, 16 rushes for 91 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Tyler Algier had 10 rushes for 64 yards. Almost all of that. I think he had eight carries in the fourth quarter. So he had eight of 10 carries in the fourth quarter. Quarter Patterson had eight carries for some reason for 43 yards. <laughs> and Desmond Ritter had seven, seven carries. Pat, the, uh, the Falcons had a, uh, ran the ball on 67% of their plays today against the Saints. Um, now that the, the the Ritter rushes, you know, not all of them were designed, but a few of them were. Uh, so it's it just it just crushes the the target availability here. We have Desmond, uh, I'm not Desmond, uh, Drake London leading the way with seven 
seven targets. Uh, he caught five for 91. Uh, and Robinson had six. So Bijan Robinson had six targets. He caught three for 32 and another touchdown. Nice over the shoulder grab. Uh, it, it looks like they've committed to Robinson as the centerpiece of the offense. And it, it took long enough, but they got there. So what you're saying is fantasy managers, managers is, is whatever the possessive of fantasy managers is, uh, that our pre-dawn raid at Arthur Smith's suburban Atlanta home worked, is what you're saying. We took him out. He peacefully surrendered. It did. We took him down to headquarters for eight hours. We got a commitment that he would just give the ball to his best player, and then he actually did it. I, listen, I didn't like waking up at 3.30 in the morning to do that raid, but, <laughs> but I, I did it because it needed to be done. Needed to be done for your country. It needed to be done for fantasy football. So two games, that's the beginning of a trend and the small sample size game that is fantasy football. Arthur Smith could wake up on the wrong side of the bed in week 13 against the Jets and change his mind. But it certainly seems like sanity is prevailing. It When we do all this talk, it, it of course can get lost in the shuffle that Tyler Algier is actually good. But the point is not that he's good. It's that Bajan Robinson is awesome. Uh, they thought so. They used a top eight pick on him. You don't really have any choice but to use a running back like this. And it took three months, but they're finally doing it. When you say soft Falcon schedule, by the way, you aren't kidding. It's at the Jets versus yeah. the Bucks, at Carolina versus Indy, at Chicago, at New Orleans. The only thing problem with that, I, I hear Bijan commitment in my head there, but I also hear Arthur Smith keeping his job. And we don't want that. Oh, you know, there's no doubt about that. You know, like, like uh, Arthur Smith is is here for the long, the long run. I I believe that that he's going to be the the coach of this team for as pretty much as long as he wants. Uh, and, um, unless things go, go really sideways. No, no, really. I mean, the team team has nothing to say about him negatively. You know, no. um, yeah. So really soft schedule. Some good matchups. Mostly, mostly it. It means that game script will likely be on the Falcon side throughout this stretch run, right? And that means tons of rushing, like rushing like you've never seen. I mean, there there was a stretch today against New Orleans where the Falcons, I believe, ran it eleven straight plays, and 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 they've done that before. This is not for this. They they get they get in this position. We're we're ahead in the second half. It is over. We are not dropping back to pass. They probably correctly decided there's no difference between good and bad Desmond Ritter and Taylor Heineke things. So it does make sense. 41 total carries. They did. They left only 21 pass attempts for Desmond Ritter. No sacks taken. So only, I guess only 21 dropbacks. Uh, he did relentlessly target Drake London. Does it seem that they get the good players? The ball plan is also working in the passing game or only really in the running game? Well, no, I mean, it, that, that does it. Uh, that is working because London is being very efficient with his opportunity. It, it would be cool to see him get, you know, some, some decent volume uh, like raw volume, but, but the target share is there, you know, Kyle Pitts is, is really just not, I, I wrote in, in, in the blurb today that I, I don't think that Kyle Pitts is like fantasy viable in 12 team leagues right now. Um, is that, is that too much? Is that? No, I mean, we've been there for a while and this, like I, I just named like what would what is the argument he's gone five straight games where he has not drawn more than five targets yeah i uh, hasn't eclipsed 60 yards in that span uh the, the last time he scored a touchdown was the last time he drew more than five targets in the middle yeah. of october it's not he hasn't he's had one 20 yard catch in his past four games i just don't even really know what you're supposed to cling to i mean we know the shares are great but we also know the shares just don't matter in an offense yeah. that never passes so the the tight ends thing for the for the Falcons is is a little bit weird. If I could just go d- through that real quick, 
Uh, Kyle Pitts uh, ran 16 routes on 24 dropbacks for Atlanta. He saw two targets. He caught both of them for 22 yards. Uh, Johnu Smith, nine routes on 24 dropbacks. So he is basically not even part of the game plan anymore. But then Michael Pruitt, Pruitt and Parker Hesse also mixed in. Parker Hesse, Hesse played 23 snaps. Pruitt played 16 snaps. Um, that that's like, <clears throat> that's like crushing for Pitts and and John Smith. Yeah, this uh, so whatever. If Arthur Smith wants to get weird, at least do it at the margins. Don't do <laughs> yeah. it at the top of it. You want Parker Hesse <laughs> to get involved? Like, who cares? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he need the my our guy needs an outlet. You yes. know, for getting weird, and and you know, you know, it's like it's like when a when an artist wants to get a little weird with an it's album, true. right? It's you know, true. you you go you you do your little weird album, and but it has to be with the tight ends. You don't do the weird album with the running back. So he started like, he started releasing his experimental music under his own name. He's pledged <laughs> to keep the Falcons fan. Yeah, he realizes it's a band. It's not he's yeah. not the only one. In the, in the backfield, you got to play the hits. Yeah, so the, the, you're gonna be mainstream releases from now on, at least at the top. <laughs> of the skill player totem pole in Atlanta's offense. The other side of the ball, Chris Olave was having a humongous game until he was concussed. Mm. Uh, Lynn Bowden. I saw Bowden for the Saints. I was like, that's probably not Lynn Bowden. <laughs> and, then, and then you informed me that it was indeed uh-huh. Lynn Bowden. What in the world was going on in this New Orleans Saints? It was another 300-yard Derek Carr game. I don't know if I've ever seen someone have more 300-yard games oh. with one or fewer touchdowns than Derek Carr. What was it, happening with the Saints? It, it, was, it was Honestly, it was the most depressing 300-yard performance maybe in the history of the NFL. <laughs> uh, and, and, that, and that includes all the depressing Matthew Stafford 300-yarder from <laughs> – Oh my gosh! So I was wondering who you'd say, and it is Stafford, who's had the emptiest ever 300-yard passing. Uh, Stafford has actually had empty 400 yards. (laughs) (laughs) He really has. That's true. Uh, So, well, I'll get to Carr in a second, but yeah, uh, Olave was cooking early and often in this one. Targeted nine times on 22 pass routes. Uh, He finished the game with seven catches for 114 yards. On those nine targets that easily led the team in all categories, he left in the third, late in the third quarter with a uh, concussion. So we'll see. He's probably, you know, he'll go into the protocol. We'll see if he's ready for next week. Uh, in his place, yeah, Lynn Bowden ran a bunch of routes. He did. He actually didn't catch either either of his two targets, but he had two rushes for forty yards. And I have to be honest with you, he looked good. It never made sense that he was like a total bust. He was a complete weapon in the SEC for Kentucky and truly versatile. And those kind of players have come more and more into vogue. So, yeah, I will say I never understood why Lynn Bowden could do nothing at the NFL level. Right. No, yeah. And so I I think, you know, look, Olave's out right now with the concussion. You know, he's questionable to say. We have Rashid Shahid, who leaves with a quad injury. Okay. Uh, You have uh, Michael Thomas, who's on IR. Who was I'm, apparently the problem, by the way. Michael Thomas g- gets hurt one time, and immediately Chris Olave starts cooking and is more explosive again. Uh, well, the, but this goes back to this thing where it's like if you get the ball to your best players, they'll they'll do stuff. Yes, and and that and then the Saints were like, oh, okay, I guess we have to give it to Olave now, <laughs> and he's going bananas. I mean, he was going to go for for two hundred plus today. Um. Anyway, so Bowden. You know, would could maybe be interesting if if these injuries persist uh, into next week. Do we want to get into the Taysom situation? We do, and the Bowden stuff too. I could see he he was active. He was part of the forty six man 
uh, game day roster, but I could see like once they've had a full week to game plan, like the touches will go to someone who is not Lynn Bowden. But the injuries are getting very, very deep. Kendra Miller could be active, I guess, next week. Not, he plays running back completely differently than Lynn Bowden does, of course. But Lynn Bowden is someone to circle. Like I'm in a 14 team league where there, there's nothing left. There's truly nothing yeah. left, and yeah, yeah, you might have to be looking at him in those kind of leagues. But what was going on with with Taysom's package? Yeah, you know? yeah. So the, the 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 package was there, uh, and he he wasn't running a lot of routes. Uh, he only ran 12 routes on 40 dropbacks on on the day. Um, but he had, you know, decent involvement in the rush game, uh, in the running game, uh, lost to here. Taysom Hill had seven rushes for 26 yards, uh, no touchdowns. He really didn't even have a rush near the, near the goal line. Unfortunately, he, uh, caught both of his targets for 55 yards, including a Randy Moss esque 30, 36 yarder down the sideline. Uh, he mossed him folks. Uh, and, I, I actually, Pat, I actually think this may be just my Taysom uh, uh, apologist coming out, but I think that these injuries in the New Orleans offense probably just mean more Taysom. They probably do, and because we were getting more Taysom before players were hurt, and the, the injury issues are getting pretty serious for the Saints. They're also like a cornered animal team now. They're five and six. The division is completely up for grabs, but like they have to, they're gonna have to dig deep. And that seems to always be more Taysom. So yeah. I agree with your taste. And t- Chris Olave, I was, when you were talking, I was trying to search. I thought he had a concussion history, but I think it's just a history of taking really major hits that Huge. seemed like they would concuss him. And at least, I guess to date had not in the NFL. I could be missing something, but he does seem like, it seems like that could be an ongoing concern from him because he's, he's on the smaller side and he, he gets walloped. He allows himself to take these really, really big hits. Yeah, that he, is a big concern. He doesn't protect himself at all. That That is true. So who, who do the Saints have in week 13? Sorry, I'm just looking really quick. Yeah. I've got the Lions. Oof, a good matchup. The Lions defense has totally, totally collapsed. Yeah. Uh, so Taysom Hill. Man, yeah, Taysom Hill, what, top five or six tight end? Yeah. Lynn Bowden, RB2 next week. Uh, no, I, no. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right, right. Well, on my team, uh, yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, I know. You've been waiting for this moment for a Lynn Bowden. To you know, actually, Pat, I actually think that he's receiver eligible. I think that he, I don't think that because he he was running routes today. He was he ran like twenty two routes on forty dropbacks. So um, I'm not sure about like Yahoo or anything, but uh, you probably have to play him at wide receiver. Uh, I will say, At Perry, the rookie who was talked about this week because of the Michael Thomas injury. Uh, he only saw two targets. He was out there for about 80, 80% of the routes. Um, he had a miscommunication. So didn't he have a horrific mistake at some point? He, like he was just yes. kind of standing there at the 10 yard line and Derek Carr threw it into the back, the back corner of the end zone for him. And Derek Carr gave him a tongue lashing. I say, and, let me uh, guess. Derek Carr screamed at him for six straight minutes in full view of the camera. Well, because it was in the Falcon Stadium, you could hear every word uh, that was <laughs> Come said. Come on, man! <laughs> <laughs> That's a low blow. I, I, I thought it was a COVID game for a while. Like, there's just no nobody making noise. <laughs> oh my gosh! Sure, it's entirely accurate. But again, you're not. No, supposed to it speak. is. You're Don't boo me. It. I'm right. Don't uh, say it out loud. Say it right. off the mic. Yeah. So, so At Perry was kind of banished, I think, after that. So uh, we'll see how, how it goes for him. We've talked a really long time about the Atlanta Falcons yes. and the New Orleans Saints. It's now time to move on 
one of the crazier one of the games we had a lot of hopes for heading into week 13 mm-hmm. and i would say lived up to it jaguars texans the jags outlasting the texans on the road 24 to 21 we got a season high 364 yards from trevor lawrence second straight game where trevor lawrence scored both via the air and on the ground kind of playing with like a renewed sense of urgency playing better just had mm-hmm. to play better of course, coincides with Zay Jones returning to the Jaguars offense, who's apparently just the key to absolutely everything <laughs> he, in Duval County, Florida. He had one catch for 10 yards. It was the second game in a row that Zay's back to Calvin Ridley. Had a really useful fantasy day. The Trevor Lawrence looked mm-hmm. reinvigorated. Uh, just a really good day for the Jaguars offense. Uh, Texans, uh, I'll let you, sorry, I'll just do a real quick monologue on the, on the Texans. Uh, another really explosive game for CJ Stroud. Two touchdowns through the air. One touchdown on the ground. No turnovers. He did have a few low lights that didn't show up in the box score. He had Tank Dell for a 76-yard touchdown that he needed yeah. to hit in the first quarter. It just didn't hit it. They had a 62-yard gain a few minutes later, too, that was called back by an illegal shift penalty. So Tank Dell finished only five catches for 50 yards. But a, a great box score for the Texans. The, not a great final drive. He had a game-winning drive. C.J. Stroud, he took two really bad sacks. Um, so they're very close, but it was a really, really good game. You know, where would you like to start on Jaguars Texans, Denny? Yeah, let's start. Let's start with the Jags real quick. So it, it looks like you know, like you said, Ridley Ridley had another uh, solid game with Zay Jones back in the lineup. Um, I actually saw a, a a screen cap of, of Ridley's uh, route tree. Okay, and, okay. I thought you were say something different that he did. No, no, no. Uh, screen cap of his of his route tree, and, and they have him running what are you know termed in breaking routes he, yeah. he's actually all the film guys there's in breaking routes it, is like the one thing they've been tweeting about well but but it, but it's 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 good because of what we've been talking about on the road world football show for a while now most of the season really is that the ridley's running every route within four inches of the sideline <laughs> and and you know so you so get true. him into into the middle of the field and it, things start to happen you know for him and and so so we have that going for us which I think is awesome. I know, I know Christian Kirk. Tell me, Christian Kirk missed a touch a touchdown by like an inch, and then the Jaguars didn't score after that. What, what they happened? did not. And so, by the way, early in the season, Calvin Ridley he tries to cheat in six inches from the sideline and they just yank him off the field. Get out! Must be two to three inches, not even four. Four is pushing it, young right. man. And when you said you saw a screen cap of Calvin Ridley, I thought it was going to be him dropping a thirty-yard touchdown in the oh. first half because. He dropped a 30-yard touchdown the first half and had no catches at halftime. So kind of a fantasy miracle that he finished with five for 89 and one. Christian Kirk, near the end of the first half, a 57-yard catch and run. He goes out at like the six-inch yard line, one second on the clock. So he didn't get the touchdown. Pretty bad break if you were starting Christian Kirk as your wide receiver, too. He had only one catch in the second. So totally flipped. Both teams, it was really weird. It was all Christian Kirk. And Tank Dell in the first half. In the second half, neither one of them did anything. And it was all Nico Collins and Calvin Ridley. Now, Christian Kirk goes out the six-inch yard line. There's one second left. They do a run. They do a toss to Travis Etienne, and it just comes nowhere close to scoring a touchdown. There yeah. was a lot of bad breaks in this game yeah. on both fantasy sides. A lot of drop touchdowns, a lot of big plays that were so close that just did not uh, connect. Right. So, so yeah, uh, speaking of that, it sure felt like Tank Dell should have had upwards of 40 fantasy points today. And nope. I looked at the final thing and it was 17. He scored 17, Pat. 
How did he only, how did he only score 17? Oh, it's a good but quite literally just 138 yards left on the field and that missed 76-yard touchdown and the 62-yard was called back and he was everywhere in the first half. I guess someone adjusted at halftime. Either the Jags adjusted or the Texans in comeback mode adjusted because Tank Dell had zero catches in the second half and he was barely even he was like unmissable in the first half. Like every play even when he wasn't catching it, it seemed like he was doing something crazy and explosive, and it's just really invisible in the second half, whereas Nico Collins came totally alive. So I guess the game situation changed. The coverages must have changed. The offensive approach must have changed. Um, still, every week now, Tank Dell, is, he's blowing up the film. He's blowing up the box scores, and it just seems like it has been confirmed that he's a special young player. Yeah, no, for sure. I know he, you know, he had some tough luck today. I will say though, for the second straight game, he was out targeted by Nico Collins. He was. He was. That's fine. It doesn't matter. Uh, Nico does have 20, 20 targets over the past two weeks, and they have a tough matchup in Week Thirteen, the Houston Texans, where they have to play the now unbeatable Denver Broncos. Denny. Uh, oh yeah, no, that's uh, bad. That's really. And bad. just let me ask you real quick on the Broncos. Uh, where's your God now? <laughs> 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 where is Danny Carter's God now? Uh, the Broncos we, we, no longer lose football games. We are looking into where my God is, and we are not sure at the <laughs> moment. We're not, not sure. So, but uh, and I, I'm talking about Nico Collins. But, you know, they played just two totally different roles in the offense. There is room for both of them to get home. I think it's been proven. The wild card is, of course, Noah Brown week to week with his knee injury. Mm-hmm. He's missed two games now. They didn't put him on injured reserve, which suggests they expect him to return in either week 13 or week 14 at the latest. So that is a variable that you have to – fantasy managers need to be monitoring. And the backfield, by the way, of course, Damian Pierce comes back. He only got out carried 6-5 to five yeah. by Devin Singletary, but he got out touched 12-5. to five. The initial snap counts had uh, Devin Singletary handling over 80% of the snaps. So really good stuff for Devin Singletary, but he was the kind of guy – or I think his whole case was he needed 90 to 100% of the snaps. And even getting down to like 75, 80 well, might not come out of the RB2 range with the exception of week 13 where there are six teams on by. Yeah. He might remain in the top 24. He clearly has become the chairman of the Texans' backfield. But he's like the kind of player I feel like he can't lose any work to Damian yeah. Pierce. And it confirmed that he will indeed lose some work to Damian Pierce. Uh, Devin Singletary ran 35 routes on 46 dropbacks for Houston. Damian Pierce only six routes on the day. Uh, of course, Singletary saw the six targets as well. I think it's, this is also a reminder, as I wrote in the funnel defense report this week, that the Jaguars are an extreme pass funnel and nobody tries to run it against them. So just remember that. Real quick, the theme of this game was fantasy points left on the field. Evan Ingram, you know, who's reaching like Jacoby Myers or Deontay, oh. Deontay Johnson levels of not scoring. Yeah. Uh, five for a scoreless 49, uh, but he had a drop. He was wide open in the end zone. And Trevor Lawrence just didn't hit him. He got held, blatantly held, and like basically fell down, and then Trevor Lawrence threw an interception. So it was like a game where it seemed like fate wanted to get him a touchdown. I just like, thought better of it. Like, yeah, Evan Ingram will never score. <laughs> Zay, Zay Jones coming back, I don't know how Evan Ingram's ever going to establish a ceiling. Uh, have we, we said enough about this game? I think so. Yeah, just keep uh, keep running out uh, pass catchers against the Jacks, and against the Texans too, right? I think. Yeah, yeah. Then I mean, the Texans defense overall is just not very good. It's not very good, but this hit was very good. Always great stuff from Mister Denny Carter. Check out everything he has on the site this week, including our podcast on Tuesday afternoon. Denny, thank you so much. Thanks. 
I won't let my active psoriatic arthritis joint symptoms define me. Emerge as you. Tremphia guselkumab is proven to significantly reduce joint pain, stiffness, and swelling in adults with active psoriatic arthritis. Some patients even reported less fatigue as assessed by survey one week prior. Results may vary. Tremphia is taken by injection six times a year after two starter doses at week zero and four. Serious allergic reactions may occur. Tremphia may increase your risk of infections and lower your ability to fight them. Before treatment, your doctor should check you for infections and tuberculosis. Tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms of an infection, including fever, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough. Tell your doctor if you had a vaccine or plan to. Emerge as you. Learn more about Tremphia, including important safety information, at tremphia.com or call 1-877-578-3527. See our ad in Food & Wine magazine. For patients prescribed Tremphia, cost support may be available. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. We now welcome in Kyle Dvorak to talk the Colts' 27-20 to win over the Bucks and the Titans outlasting the Panthers 17-10. to I'm anxious to hear if Will Levis outplayed Bryce Young, Kyle. But we'll start with the Colts and Bucks. where I would say, really, we just got a status quo game, a really well-prognosticated game coming in. Where we knew Michael Pittman would eat against this defense, 10 catches for 107 yards. Josh Downs, we were hoping he would have a big game, but yeah. We have no idea how healthy he really is. Only five catches, 43 yards. Jonathan Taylor with a really nice day against a tough run defense, 15 for 91 and two touchdowns. We'll get to the Bucs in a second. It's as simple as saying we got what we expected from the Colts in this 27-20 to victory. Yeah, I'll note Josh Downs was out there more. He earned 13 targets. They threw the ball a lot, but 13 is still a ton. It tied Michael Pittman. So the past two games for them, they had, they're coming off the bye week, which is what I'm going to say is why he probably earned so many targets. The past two games, he was not out there as much as we were used to. And he had like a total of three catches for 50 yards, I think. So even though like technically the fantasy bottom line didn't look that much different in this one, he was out there way more and earning targets like we had hoped he had been you know weeks one through i think seven or eight I'm trying to remember exactly when he got injured because they have the bias so i'm trying to like count backwards but he's clearly a different player than he was over the past two games we saw him he just wasn't right i mean he played he did not practice at all before the bye and still played like i you never see players do that let alone like rookies like a lot of times like vets getting like yeah, like never rookies that is never right. rookies exactly it's vets getting like maintenance plus right they're banged up but they're just not practicing because they can do that they've been in the league so many years you never see that with rookies and he still played through it wasn't awfully effective and that's not surprising so I, I think this is even though what 40 some yards not that great of a fantasy performance the targets and the role were back for him so i'd say he, he's fully back in my mind it's really good, and they're heading into two pretty good matchups, the Titans' ever-soft pass defense, then a Bengals defense that's kind of just collapsing, allowing so many big plays, and without Joe Burrow, they're going to be under so much pressure. Uh, so maybe we can get some momentum for Josh Downs. Then heading into a tough matchup with the Steelers on December 17th. But yeah, hopefully Josh Downs is back in the fantasy thick of it. And Jonathan Taylor, this was a little surprising, having such a good day against this run defense. Uh, Zach Moss mixed back in a little after not really being involved 
the previous week or two, especially last week, where I think John Taylor played like 90% of the snaps. Yeah, Moss had one carry the last time we saw him. He was more involved like a typical backup in this game. He was also out there for passing work, which can be a little frustrating if you have Taylor, but Taylor's getting the goal line work. He's still getting roughly two-thirds of the carries, so that's all positive. Maybe we were a little ambitious when, like he said, like a 90% snap share. Maybe we're not going to get that, and few running backs get that. We talked about this in the preview pod. If his numbers from last last week is actually two weeks ago because they're coming off the bye. If those Couldn't sustain, remember. Yeah, yeah, they're coming off the bye. <laughs> they just played in, I think they were Germany. Weren't they like Germany? Oh, uh, they were in Frankfurter. Yes, yeah. they're against the Patriots. Yeah, it was against the Patriots. I watched that game. Uh, yeah, so that game maybe oversold his role. It would have oversold anyone's role outside of like Christian McCaffrey, to be fair. But like I said, goal line work, all the carries, and he looked really good too, as he tends to do. So maybe you could quibble about, I wish he got more passing game work, but I'm still ranking him as an RB1. So you named all the things Jonathan Taylor got. I'll tell you what he didn't get was the 100-yard <laughs> bonus. I know. Um, <laughs> got close I again. Got close. Commiserate about that every single week. If Jonathan Taylor could only get the 100-yard bonus, our lives would be totally better and different. But we digress. Again, kind of a status quo box score for the Bucks. Mike Evans leads in receiving, six catches, 70 yards, two more touchdowns. Chris Godwin, no ceiling this year. The floor seems like it's going lower. Rashad White was mysteriously added to the injury report, but then seemed like he played his exact normal role. Did I just break down what happened with the Bucks offense fairly accurately? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you, you laid it out for both teams. This is a status quo game for the most part, especially with Josh Downs getting back to looking like Josh Downs. And yeah, the Bucs were on that same trajectory and another one where an injury corrected itself. We didn't even get a weird week of Rashad White. We just got a weird one day injury report, but <laughs> it was very, it's very clear, especially for a lot of teams, but especially the Bucs who've done this, I think multiple times since the Bijan Robinson incident, they've been adding players to their injury report over the weekend for what is obviously for Rashad White, he outcarried his backup 15 to one a minor slash non-existent injury, but they're just, you know, crossing their T's, dotting their I's, making sure they're not uh, the subject of the next league's investigations. We, we should have two of them. I don't know, like if they're still going on or whatever, but we have had two of them supposedly this year, Bijan and now Joe Burrow, Tampa Bay, I think just doing their due diligence, uh, like groin is a little tight or whatever it was. Hamstring is a little tight. Add him to the injury report. He's clearly fine. He got all the work and he looked really good on it too. It was actually his first hundred yard game on the ground since like week four, I think. So wow. he's fine. How did Baker Mayfield look after it took, it was like a kidney shot or something on a, <laughs> I think it was a leg. Game? I think it was an ankle or something. Uh, he went down in a QB sneak on the one yard line, doesn't get there. And just in the, in the midst of the pile, I think someone just rolled or stepped onto his ankle, but like you pointed out, he was on the field for a long time, really came off gingerly. I like I was, you know, starting to write up uh, like Baker Mayfield <laughs> yeah, question yeah. to return. It doesn't look like he's going to return a long, cold drive later. And he's back in the game. It cost them only a drive on a few plays on the goal line with Kyle Trask in at center or under center. So he looked fine after that. He took a few sacks, but he also scrambled a handful of times. It didn't really look that much different. I will say he did throw an instant interception after coming back onto the field. But also Baker Mayfield does throw those kinds of interceptions. So it's hard to say which, you know, chicken or egg. Say what you will about Baker Mayfield. He is extraordinarily tough. Again, to his detriment, he kind of derailed his career playing through that shoulder injury. So hopefully he's not trying to play through like a high ankle sprain. Any last notes on this game? Uh, always strange people popping up in this Colts box score. Mo Ali Cox is back on the team, apparently. Yeah, uh, he Will, was on Will, IR Will Mallory. Forever. Yeah, I forgot he was actually injured. Uh, Will Mallory in there. 
Um, yeah, just you're just naming like players at this point. I am, just yeah. them up. Other other side, like was Alec Pierce. Mm-hmm. Oh, Colts hardly know who Alec Pierce is at this point. He's very clearly there. Pretty deep, deep third receiver. Yeah. On the other side, I guess I'd say Chris Godwin, as you pointed out, like his play has uh, in terms of efficiency declined throughout the year, and it didn't start at an awfully great point. Like he's well on the outside of the wide receiver three range, and you want to say looking in, but like he's not going to cross the threshold. It doesn't look like so. You could probably bench him at this point, though, if you've been playing him up to this point. Seems like your season's probably circling the drain. Yeah, your season's over. I know. It is sad, but he he's not a wide receiver three. Maybe there'll be one last hurrah in the top 36. We got six friggin' teams on by <laughs> in week 13. Uh, absolutely crazy scheduling by the National Football League, but it's just not happening. And like you said, there's just no reason to see why it would happen at yep. this point for Chris Godwin. Moving on from the Bucks and the Colts, we've got the Titans and the Panthers, and I, I guess you call this a status quo game. I'll let you break this one down a little more, but status quo right down to Panthers owner David Tepper apparently throwing around F-bombs <laughs> in the locker room, trying to figure out who was responsible for this mess. Who was responsible for this team drafting Bryce Young? Yeah. Uh, like, honestly, the, the saddest part is uh, Bryce Young took four sacks, didn't score, wasn't intercepted. It takes 31 attempts to not even get to 200 yards. Man. This is like probably one of his better games of the year. He actually had some really nice tight window throws. And for how often he was pressured, only taking four sacks. Dude was pressured instantly. So many times. A handful of his sacks were like, you know, you see the, the next gen. He was pressured in point oh 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 one seconds. That's the <laughs> fastest time beating his other three sacks from earlier in the year. This is some of the worst O-line play I've seen. It also shows up in the running back box scores. But also Bryce Young didn't always handle the pressure super well. Uh, you know, some like off-platform throws that really could have been intercepted. But yeah, I, I thought it was actually a not awful game from him. It was a game where he had no chance of succeeding. He's had some games where he dooms himself and he deserves to get piled on for bad throws. He doesn't really deserve a, a ton of hate for this game. It was, I don't say it was good. He just never had a chance and he did what you'd expect with a guy who wasn't given any opportunities. And yeah, so with quarterbacks, I think I've become kind of overly obsessed with blaming sacks on the quarterback because I think a lot of other people underrate what an important fact, like, Oh yeah, a few years ago, I think we definitely underrated how much control a quarterback still has. Now, like you hear like Daniel Jones, like yeah, maybe one of the reasons Daniel Jones takes eight sacks is because yep. the defense doesn't respect him and he makes poor decisions and holds the ball too long. Bryce Young, a lot of these games, very much including this Titans game, it, the sacks were not a quarterback sack stat, like you said. Like he just had, there's nothing he could even do. And I'll tell you one thing, he didn't do was get the ball to Adam Thielen. One catch for two yeah. two yards. Uh, something I may or may not have needed. Uh, what was going on? Jonathan Mingo. He's had a few games kind of like this. Four catches for sixty yards. Anything of note uh, with the Panthers' pass catchers? No, I mean I think defense are starting to. I mean, very much realize that. Let Bryce Young throw prayer yards to Jonathan Mingo all day. He'll get to 60 yards as long as you're stopping Adam Thielen, who's genuinely been good this year. But there's only so much he can do. As long as you're stopping Adam Thielen, you're stopping an already deflated passing attack. So it looks like defenses are very clearly keying keying in on the one functional aspect of this passing attack. Once you take that away, this team is kind of doomed as if they weren't already. You want to know how how down bad some of the situations are around the NFL? This is not a joke. I can't remember. At some point of the holiday weekend – I was daydreaming for several moments about Adam Thielen being on the Chiefs. 
Could you <laughs> imagine if the Chiefs had Adam Thielen? Like, how much that's disgusting. That's totally awful. But I was like, man, if they just had even Adam Thielen, they would be the unstoppable Chiefs we all know and love. But that's a story for another podcast segment. Titans, Will Levis, another not amazing box score. Better in the past few weeks. Doesn't have a touchdown. He's had very, very few touchdowns since that four-score debut. Uh, not really making it happen. DeAndre Hopkins, what did you see out of the Titans passing attack? I mean, I will say the Panthers gave them a lot of layups and Levis mostly took the layups, but also like Bryce Young when he got under pressure, took some pretty off-platform, should have been intercepted, fortunate to not get intercepted type of throws. And uh, they don't dial up any weird trick plays in this game. And all of a sudden, the the Will Levis touchdowns are gone, which he's been been feasting on odd trick plays in the past few weeks. Yeah, seems very sustainable. Yeah, exactly. So they don't uh, they don't find, you know, a, a Jeffrey Simmons goal line touchdown for, for the fantasy people. It's a defensive tackle who caught a touchdown for them last week. They don't find that type of play. He did sub in on a play. I think it was called whistle dead before it started on a penalty. He did sub in as like a fullback H back and uh, they didn't get to run the play. And I think Derrick Henry scored later after that. But they're trying to make it work and just couldn't find it. And really another one where. When your opponents don't push you as the Panthers are just incapable of doing so, you understand why the Titans look so flat. But I will say the Titans, outside of a few sort of busted plays, the long DeAndre Hopkins plays, generally look flat anyways. I still think we're going back to the D-hop well. He tied with a bunch of guys for a team high in targets and led the team with 49 yards. We'll keep going back to the well, but with how flat this passing attack looks, uh, wide receiver 23 feels fair for yeah, especially again with six teams on by he'll probably stay in the top 24 yeah colts definitely. uh perfectly fine matchup for week 13 we don't know we'll be having a trail on burks who never went on injured reserve following concussion so you'd like to think he has a chance to return in week 13 but who knows what that would even change at this point yeah final note on this game miles sanders out carried chuba hubbard 15 to 14 chuba had more yards he got the touchdown. Miles Sanders didn't catch any passes. Chuba caught five for 47. Anything noteworthy in the backfield other than a kind of a carry standstill between the top two backs? Yeah, like you said, Sanders is fully back in the rotation. I still think by by snaps and by overall expected points, he's going to be the RB2. But the fact that he can now at any point cut into for a 50-50 carry, cut into the work of Chuba Hubbard, really does take Chuba from being – if, he, if he's a workhorse, even on this offense, you can convince yourself that he's like a top 20 running back. Guys who get the ball a lot generally put up fantasy points at the running back position. But when it's a, a committee with Miles Sanders, he's probably more of a you know the RB30 range. Like you said, there are 45 teams on by next week out of the 170 FBS regulation teams. <laughs> so maybe he technically sneaks into RB24 or whatever. But I, I do think going forward, if this split continues, most weeks will be done with buys next week, I believe. Most weeks he'll fall into the RB3 range. Still has good receiving upside and still has, I don't want to say touchdown upside, but a large share of a small bad pie. But on this offense, you can't be a committee back and be an RB2. Just not going to work. No. And I think even for week 13, he'll be more like a mid-range RB3. And like you said, mercifully, week 13 is the end of the buys. Um, this is the end of your segment. Kyle, uh, thank you so much for taking some time to join us and break down these games. Thanks, Chad. We're now joined by Mr. Eric Samalski, who, not to out you, Eric, is a, a big Bills fan. He's not here to talk about the Bills. He's here to talk about the Chiefs. Thank, thank God. Yeah. yeah, He's here to talk about the Chiefs <laughs> and the Raiders. 31 to 17, Kansas City emerging triumphant in Las Vegas, Nevada. Eric, what I said to you before we came on the air, 
it was 14 to nothing Raiders. So I was like, oh, wow, maybe the Chiefs struggles are continuing. I don't think any of us really thought in our slack when we were talking about the game, the Chiefs were going to lose, and they did right. not do that. They kind of went Chiefs juggernaut mode, 31 to three over the Raiders the rest of the game. So kind of how they got up to such a slow start, how they get back in gear. What did you see from the Kansas City Chiefs? Yeah, I mean, they got punched in the mouth. Um, there's no real, they just got thoroughly outplayed at the start of the game. Um, the Raiders came in hungry. Um, you know, we talked about it also in the Slack. Like Aiden O'Connell started off 10 of 11 for 114 yards and a touchdown. I mean, he was dissecting a Chiefs defense that had looked really, really good pretty much all season. And they were just flat footed. And, you know, that happens to teams at times. The Chiefs obviously responded. You know, the, the flat footed, connection to this Chiefs team when you look at the weapons around Mahomes and you think okay he doesn't really have anybody besides Kelsey to throw to we'll get to more of that later um and you know Pacheco is solid but it's not like he's breaking huge gains um so you're like okay they are flat-footed because it's a vulnerable team but they're a vulnerable team that's well coached and with a lot of guys who have played big games and won big games and so they find a way to kind of you know, eke some things out. Do I think that this is the Super Bowl Chiefs? No, I, I still don't. I see a lot of flaws in the in this game still where like if they run into a good team in the playoffs, I, I don't think they're going to be able to just say, well, well, we have Mahomes. Um, and, you know, That's what you're can, telling yourself. Sure, <laughs> I'm, just, right? I'm just joking. It's going to happen. It, it, might, it might definitely happen and you can all come back to me and say all you need is Mahomes and it's entirely I do possible. agree with you um, that it's felt a little different this year though. I yeah. do agree that it has not felt like they can just turn it on like the Golden State Warriors. Right. And, and look at it like, you know, this was a pretty flawless game from Mahomes from like a standpoint of you watching the game. Like there wasn't really anything he did wrong or anything he could have. He like didn't leave something out on the field, right? There wasn't a throw where you were like, Oh, if he had just hit that and he went 27 of 34 for 298 yards and two touchdowns. And that's a great game, but that is not the, like if, pa if everything clicks for Patrick Mahomes and he doesn't make any mistakes, what is the type of fantasy game that you get? It's not, 300 yards and two touchdowns, right? We're, we're used to more. And that's not saying he's still an elite fantasy football quarterback and an, obviously an elite real-life quarterback. But the ceiling of the offense is just a little bit lower than we've been accustomed to. And so I just think you, we need to keep that in mind. It's like, I don't think you're getting the, the blow-up games you know, where with anybody other than Travis Kelsey, where they're kind of like, quote unquote, breaking a slate. We did get something of a blow-up game. Finally, though, from mm -hmm. Rasheed Rice. I believe it's his first 100-yard game of his career. I think eight catches had to be a new career high. He had the touchdown, I think 39 yards. He had a few drops, I believe. Uh, what did you see from Rasheed Rice? Because we had been waiting for something. He had done the, the five-catch, 50-yard thing a bunch of times. Yes. And scoring a decent he, amount of touchdowns, but he finally – had a, a big fantasy day in Las Vegas. Yeah, just to put it in perspective, you were talking about, like, is it the first 100-yard game of his career? Yes. Um, he had gone over 60 yards just once on the season coming into today. Um, he had, you know, 60 or above twice all season. So, like, he's hovered in that 50 mark that you're talking about. Um, he's only gone over four catches. He had only gone over four catches twice before today he had eight catches for 107 yards and a touchdown today um he led the team in targets he led the team in catches he led the team in in yards um and 
as you pointed out, what to me is most important about this is 70% of his work came after two drops at the beginning of the game. Um, and so when you see a rookie who drops two passes, who has admittedly struggled with some consistency issues this season, and then he does all of his work or the majority of his work after that, it shows the trust that Mahomes and the coaching staff have in him or that they've reached a point where they just don't trust any of the other weapons. <laughs> For fantasy purposes, we don't care which no. one of those it is. It's just <laughs> that it, it's going to be Rasheed Rice and Travis Kelsey from now on. I don't necessarily know that Rice is like now the one A to Kelsey's one B or you know a, a vice versa. But for today, you know he made the big plays when the Chiefs needed them. He is clearly their highest upside receiver. He has been all year. You know, props to Marquez Valdez Scantling for a great block that freed Rasheed Rice for his thirty-nine uh, yard touchdown catch. I did not know um, that. Yeah, uh, that's that's how Marquez Valdez Scantling gets involved. Um, and this is a game where, like, you know, Mahomes didn't take many shots down the field. Um, it was a lot over the middle, a lot in the flats. The the Rice touchdown catch was maybe like an eight-yard catch to the sideline, and he just kind of made guys miss and hit the sideline and got that nice block and, you know, freed and, and kind of like had a huge catch and run. Um, and then obviously the typical Kelsey stuff over the middle. Um, and so... You know, that's going to work in, in Rice and, and Kelsey's favor. Um, I still think there's going to be inconsistencies because, again, he's a rookie who has been inconsistent all year, and the Raiders are a pretty good matchup. Um, but listen, they get uh, the Packers next week, and, you know, I don't think that that's necessarily a hard matchup who, right now. Who do they get after that, Eric? Do you know? Uh, yeah, they get the Buffalo Bills. They get the Buffalo Bills. <laughs> uh, hopefully, uh, we might have to get maybe, you to maybe, later for that one. Maybe uh, he'll pull <laughs> off an Olamide Zacchaeus uh, yes. ridiculous oh, touchdown catch in the back oh of the end. So, yeah. Don't even get um, me started. I needed the Bills to win today. But. And then the other thing on the, on the Chiefs offense, I mean, first of all, Travis Kelsey, you know, just kind of par for the course. Six catches, 91 yards, no touchdown, but whatever. He was dominating the Chiefs offense until Rice kind of, you know, had an explosion at the end of the game. He's He's the best tight end in fantasy football, especially now that Mark Andrews is out and it's not, there's nothing really to question about what's going on right now. Um, we thought we were going to get CEH in the passing game because there was no Jarek McKinnon. He had zero targets and Isaiah Pacheco had five targets and five catches for 34 yards. Um, I don't know if that's going to continue when McKinnon comes back from the groin injury, but it was nice to see Pacheco get involved in the passing game like that. And he has sure hands and he, actually caught a touchdown pass from Mahomes that they ruled down at the half inch line and Kansas city didn't challenge it. And then Pacheco got the rushing touchdown on the next play. So it really didn't matter for fantasy purposes, but you're just, you could see the kind of upside that he could have if he continues to work into the passing game. He still, you know, had a long rush of eight yards on the day. He's not breaking huge gains on the ground, but he's, he is getting the carries and he runs hard and he's, you know, going to put up some touchdowns. So good stuff on the kind of under construction chiefs offense, which is weird since Patrick Mahomes, but just right. kind of always changing. Whereas the Raiders kind of status quo for their Aiden O'Connell uh, years, quote mm -hmm. unquote, uh, as it were uh, second time in four games, without Josh McDaniels, Josh Jacobs goes over 100 yards. Third time in four games, he said 98 yards. Yeah. Totally recommitted to Josh Jacobs, which has been really mm -hmm. good in fantasy. Jacoby Myers popped back up today. Devonta Adams only five for 73. 
What did you see from the Raiders offense other than kind of just what we've been seeing for now the past month under Antonio Pierce? Yeah, just a, a shout out before we move to the Raiders for, you know, for Kyle Dvorak. We did get a Justin Watson touchdown. Um, we, we just did. need to get that out there on the airwaves. Um, and, you know, in, in deeper leagues, I think Watson is still somebody to keep an eye on because, again, there aren't many other weapons on the Chiefs. Um, yeah, Josh Jacobs, 20 carries again. Um, Antonio Pierce has been pretty clear that that's what he wants. Um, and Jacobs look good. Listen, the offensive line isn't that great. And so he doesn't get a lot of big plays because he doesn't get a lot of running lanes. But he looked really good on that 63-yard touchdown run. He was making defenders miss. Um, he was evading tackles. He beat a safety to the sideline on that touchdown run and, and showed some juice. The concern for me is the passing game inefficiency compared to what we saw last year and what we were seeing at the beginning of this season. Since Aiden O'Connell has been the starting quarterback and uh, Antonio Pierce has taken over as the head coach, um, Jacobs really hasn't been involved in the passing game. I know he had six targets in this game. It amounted to four catches for 15 yards, and most of it was late in the fourth quarter. Um, and so if he's not getting involved in the passing game and he's on a you know, mediocre offense running behind a below average offensive line, it does make him risky. And that's why I think he kind of is in that RB2, high-end RB2 range and not the like RB1 that I think people were expecting him to be based on volume coming into the year. Um, but still rock solid in terms of, you know, you know you're going to get 20 plus touches from him every game um, and you know you're going to get red zone work from him. And I think that's valuable. Uh, in the receivers you mentioned, it's just those two guys. I mean, Hunter Renfro is a name just to keep in, in the back of your head because he's the next guy, but he's not getting enough volume unless one of those two guys gets hurt. Um, and Devontae Adams had like 50-something yards in like the first quarter and then vanished. And I'm sure it was something the Chiefs were doing to shift coverage in, in his direction. Obviously, it's a well-coached defense. Um, and Jacoby Myers looked really good. I mean, he was catching a lot of stuff over the middle of the field. He caught a really nice fade route from Aiden O'Connell. Um, so this isn't like, you know, Jacoby Myers on the Patriots where you were like, oh, put him in a PPR league. He's going to get eight catches for 40 yards and, you know, you'll get a, a bunch of value that way. Like, he's he's a good all-round wide receiver. And I don't think Aiden O'Connell really hurts their value too much. Obviously, it's worse than it was like with Derek Carr, I don't know that it'd be worse than it was with, with Garoppolo, who wasn't really no. all that great early in the year. And listen, O'Connell went 23 of 33 for 248 yards, a touchdown and no interceptions against the Chiefs defense that has been really, really good. Um, and coming off a game where he threw three picks against the Dolphins, this is way better than I thought Aiden O'Connell would look. So, you know, props to him for that. Um, I don't know that it's meaningful for you rostering him in your fantasy leagues but i think it just means that he could prop up myers and adams enough that they're still usable for you it is crazy he has a higher floor than jimmy garoppolo and maybe yeah. ceilings is not coming through the the door this year for this offense but mm -hmm. aiden o'connell he at least has not torpedoed their value in fantasy we wish he could build it up, but not torpedoing not torpedoing it is a very good start and it's you. it's the the narrow you know, the narrow route, not, I was going to say narrow route tree, but it's like the narrow uh, target share. Like, you know, it's, it's those two guys. And unfortunately for Michael Mayer, that means it's not Michael Mayer. I mean, we've been waiting for him to kind of like break out and we saw, we thought we saw flashes before, you know, there's still some Austin Cooper involved. Mayer is, you know, two catches, 27 yards on four targets. Um, he's kind of like right in the Hunter Renfro range and yeah, tight end is gross. So in some weeks as a T as a tight end too, if you really need it, 
in whatever sicko formats you play where that is usable for you, go for it. And again, that has, says nothing about Dynasty. That's just for this year. Eric, really, really good stuff. And um, sorry about the bills. Not to, yeah. not to belabor the point. But, I'll, uh, go drown, I'll go drown my sorrows now. <laughs> uh, Eric, thanks so much. We will talk to you next week. Thanks, Pat. I won't let my active psoriatic arthritis joint symptoms define me. Emerge as you. Tremphia guselkumab is proven to significantly reduce joint pain, stiffness, and swelling in adults with active psoriatic arthritis. Some patients even reported less fatigue as assessed by survey one week prior. Results may vary. Tremphia is taken by injection six times a year after two starter doses at week zero and four. Serious allergic reactions may occur. Tremphia may increase your risk of infections and lower your ability to fight them. Before treatment, your doctor should check you for infections and tuberculosis. Tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms of infection, including fever, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough. Tell your doctor if you had a vaccine or plan to. Emerge as you. Learn more about Tremphia, including important safety information, at tremphia.com or call 1-877-578-3527. See our ad in Food & Wine magazine. For patients prescribed Tremphia, cost support may be available. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Now joined by Aditya Foldiore, who I apologize to you before you came on there for having this game, but we at least talked about there at least some drama in the Giants 10 to 7 victory over the New England Patriots. Where we were told before the game is gonna be Mac Jones and maybe Bailey Zappi. It was both. We'll get to that in just a second, though, because the Giants won another game with Tommy DeVito. Uh, they said it couldn't be done, they including me. Uh, Tommy DeVito seemed like maybe one of the worst quarterbacks in the history of the league. Has now won each of the past two Sundays. He sparked Jalen Hyatt in this game, five catches for 109 yards. But, you know, you look at the Tommy DeVito box score, it's not bad, uh, but it's not amazing. He takes six sacks. What did you see from the Giants passing game with Tommy DeVito? Yeah, Tommy DeVito, um, he had a couple nice connects, nice connections to Jalen Hyatt this game that I was a bit surprised seeing them push the ball downfield with Hyatt that they really hadn't done all season long. I had the opportunity to watch Tommy DeVito at Illinois last year, and I, forgot about I, that. Yes, I definitely, right. I definitely was very surprised to see him on an NFL practice squad, let alone starting some NFL games here. Yes, um, I thought there would be more Saquon Barkley, at least with DeVito at quarterback, but Barkley only ran the ball at twelve times. Um, it seems like defenses are pretty much keying in on Saquon Barkley and making Tommy DeVito beat them, which. The Patriots, Tommy DeVito kind of beat them, but the Patriots also sort of beat themselves on the offensive side. But for the Giants, they're heading into a week 13 bye. You're not confident about starting any of their pass catchers. Jalen Hyatt probably has the best outlook moving forward, given that he's the rookie that's starting to get some usage. But Tyrod Taylor, I believe, after the bye is eligible to come back. So we'll see if he's healthy and ready to take the reins back from Tommy DeVito or if they keep the hometown kid going here. And even whoever it is when they come off by in week 14, it's against a fairly tough Packers pass defense. And then it's on the road. 
in New Orleans. And then the it's on the road in Philadelphia on Christmas Day, which the Eagles have had their defensive troubles. Uh, but I think they'll know what to do with Tommy DeVito or even Tyrod Taylor. So mm-hmm. just nothing really doing there with Tom. We hope that he maybe can make Jalen Hyatt something of the stretch run. Darius Slayton did return for this game through his neck injury, but only two catches for 16 yards. And it just hasn't happened with Wandale Robinson. It's yeah. not going to happen to Isaiah Hodgins. Totally agree with your outlook on the Giants passing. It, it is what they have the kind of back-to-back weeks. They're, they're, put, they're forcing it down the field more than they ever do with Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones doesn't like to do it. It's yeah. pretty crazy. And Tommy DeVito is a good story, but it seems like nothing more than mm-hmm. a good story. Uh, Mac Jones, not a good story, Aditya. Uh, every time I, I had this game up on my second screen for a little bit, and I feel like every time I caught Mac Jones out of the corner of my eye, he's just making a horribly inaccurate pass. Two mm-hmm. really bad picks. He needed to be benched. It wasn't a stunt benching. It wasn't like a pouting benching. He just needed to be benched. But then Bailey Zappi was not any better. This is a horrible loss from the New England Patriots, who are now 2-9 and nine in the mix in the number one overall pick. Uh, was it as bad as I just made it sound and as this box score makes it look for the Patriots? Yeah, you know, I, again, to reiterate, I saw Tommy DeVito in person at Illinois, and you know it's bad when Tommy DeVito is the best quarterback on the field in the game. So, so you're telling me when you were at Illinois last year, you didn't think Tommy DeVito would be beating Bill Belichick? The <laughs> Not at all close to that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, Mac Jones, he could not make an accurate pass beyond two yards past the line of scrimmage. A lot of screen passes, a lot of checkdowns, which is good for Ramondre Stevenson, but bad for any other wide receiver on the Patriots or tight end, which Hunter Henry didn't get a single target this game. And then Mac Jones, uh, he had a pair of interceptions that really, I think, sold Bill Belichick on bringing Bailey Zappi out in the second second half. And Bailey Zappi came out, first drive was a touchdown, really driven by Ramondre Stevenson, who scored it. Um, and then later in the game, Baylor, Bailey Zappi had a fourth quarter interception and nearly had another one to seal the game with two minutes left, but he, he was able to get the linebacker to drop it somehow. So uh, <laughs> the Patriots missed the game-tying field goal, so luckily we didn't get any overtime from this game, but... Uh, it doesn't look like <laughs> it doesn't look like Bailey Zappi or Mac Jones is the long-term answer for New England. Both quarterbacks threw at least one interception each, and neither threw the touchdown in this game. Uh, it was a Stevenson rushing touchdown. Um, Patriots pass catchers Juju Smith-Schuster is pretty much off of fantasy radars at this point. Uh, Demario Douglas is the only pass catcher that you're probably confident in starting, but he got clotheslined on a punt return today and he left the game with a head injury. So moving forward, there's probably no Patriots pass catchers you want to start outside of Douglas if he can return healthy. It's a good matchup against the Chargers next week, I believe. So you might be tempted, but again, you got to keep an eye on that quarterback situation. I'm really hoping Malik Cunningham gets some looks there, but there's a good chance he just gets cut this week somehow. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, neither Bailey Zappi or Mac Jones are striking any confidence into the Patriots' offense, and it looks like they're going to have to fish for another quarterback at some point soon. Yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head. Where The only place where any hope was residing whatsoever in the Patriots' offense is Demario Douglas, and now he's concussed. And just not knowing who the quarterback's going to be, not knowing his health, even in that really good matchup, even with six teams on by. Mario Douglas probably is kind of like a desperation second flex. That's if he manages to play. Teams seem like they've been being more cautious with head injuries this year. And so I wouldn't count on him playing 
in week 13. And I mean, I think you put a, a pretty nice tidy bow in this game, just an ugly, ugly game, two teams having disaster seasons of a different kind. And oh uh, yeah, there's not a lot to talk about in fantasy football with the giants mm-hmm. and Patriots. Yeah. All right. Mr. Aditya, always really, really good stuff. Um, and uh, Hey, Hey, uh, public shout out for working on Thanksgiving, by the way. Uh, that was really good stuff. <laughs> really clutch. So, Aditya, thank you so much. We will catch you next week. Thank you. See ya. We're now joined by Mark Garcia, who got to witness two of the league's worst good teams play on Sunday because they're both pretty okay teams, but they're also both bad. That would be the Denver Broncos scoring 29 points to the Cleveland Browns is 12. And Mark, we were talking before we came on the air, and I said I just I thought my opening storyline for this, this game was just kind of some of the air coming out of the Browns balloon where they got a big stirring victory over the Steelers in week 11 where Dorian Thompson Robinson uh, did just enough for them to re- win a really important divisional game, but didn't seem like a sustainable formula to me. And it, oh, it doesn't matter how good your defense is. If the quarterback is just DTR and then he got hurt yeah. on Sunday, just you were using some colorful language to describe the Browns offense it's a certain kind of show. And it's what did you see from the Cleveland offense on Sunday? Yeah, well, obviously this team is is built from their defense forward. They play the most, the heaviest rate of man coverage in the league. They're in your face. They're playing press. They are. And that's kind of just who they are under Jim Schwartz. They're this smash mouth team. They started off behind the eight ball because Denzel Ward missed this game. He was inactive with his uh, injury. Then Miles Garrett gets injured in the, at the end of the first half. Um, he had his shoulder, he had his arm in a sling. Uh, it's his left shoulder. He said he felt a pop. So uh, mm. we'll keep all eyes on that. But yeah, when you're when you're kind of down your top two big name players on defense, uh, you're kind of behind the eight ball to begin with. And when you go down by 14 points in the beginning of the second quarter, you're even more. So yeah, this was a did not start the way that this team kind of needs to start to control games. Um, and there's even more injuries that we'll talk about here shortly from this team as well. It's kind of a miracle they made it close at all. And like you said, Amari Cooper was injured late, which I did not know until you told me because this game was kind of one of those information vacuum games that people just weren't tweeting about very much. They weren't. Yeah. But they weren't posting on our Slack. Like, you see the cool play. And Browns Bengals <laughs> or Browns Broncos, excuse me, because there were none of them. There weren't. There David weren't. Njoku did lead in targets again. He's getting a lot of looks from DTR. Yes. But will DTR even play in the week 13? So what's exactly. the next step here with this Browns offense? We finally thought we had some fidelity as far as fantasy purposes go because we knew that DTR is targeting David Njoku. Um, short area role, but I mean, he was coming off a game of 15 targets. Uh, co-led the team this week with nine targets. And then DTR uh, has to be evaluated for uh, what was called a head injury, but he took uh, a pretty gnarly hit um, coming out of his own end zone to end the third quarter, which paved the way for PJ Walker to come in. Then uh, three, four plays later, something like that. Amari Cooper goes out uh, with an injury. So there's a lot. This is not what this team needed as they're trying to tread water into the playoffs here. Um, fallen out of the playoff picture in the AFC. So that is something to watch. They are seven and four. They do have the inside track, but there are no less than four or five teams in the AFC that are nipping at their heels here with a six and five record. So they need to get some semblance of consistency going. Obviously all eyes are going to be on Amari Cooper, um, DTR, uh, Miles Garrett, uh, you you know, the list goes on here, Denzel Ward even. Um, So yeah, this is a, and it's not like they, they didn't, 
they didn't look good on offense. They looked manageable. They looked like they could be somewhat consistently moving the football. It kind of all revolves around Jerome Ford. I mean, how many times are we going to have to see Jerome Ford with these highly efficient games? And you look at who's second in rushing on the team, and it's Kareem Hunt with like a 3.2 yards per no. game. I don't understand yet why they aren't, or not to cut you off, but to finish your point for you, why they aren't orienting the offense around Jerome Ford more. Because like you said, it is every single week he's the guy providing the big plays, providing the greater efficiency, kind of doing a little bit of everything out of the backfield. But maybe they're just so insistent on volume that it's not possible for him. But I don't understand why it's not. He should be getting 25 touches. Not that he's a, not that in a normal circumstance, Jerome Ford should be getting 25 touches, but in, 2023 Cleveland Browns circumstances, it sort of feels like he should be. Which is even more of a travesty when you consider that on the backdrop of they're leading the league in plays run from scrimmage on offense because what? their defense has been so crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's like, come, uh, get what? this man 20 touches, dude. <laughs> yeah, at least 25 is, is excessive, but at least get him 18 to 20. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No. Anyway, we digress. We do very much <laughs> digress. They get the resurgent Rams in week 13, resurgent for one week. They get the Jags, who have been looking more and more like a genuine playoff team the past two weeks. Then they get the Bears, and they get the Texans. But a team who probably deserved to make the playoffs um, with a, a well-designed offense and an elite defense, and I, I agree with you, you're going to have a hard time making it happen, even though they're 7-4. and four. The, the Broncos, meanwhile, uh, can't lose, apparently. Good even though Russell Lord. Wilson – Russell Wilson never throws for 200 yards anymore. He throws one or two touchdowns every week. He had 11 carries for 34 yards. That's a box score Easter egg. Uh, Cortland Sutton, the leading receiver again, not that it amounted to much. What did you see from the Broncos offense? This was an offense that they know what they want to do and they're executing it. And what is really turning things around for this offense is the handcuffs are kind of off of Russell Wilson. And those 11 carries, not one of them was designed. (laughs) These are Russell Wilson escaping and being mobile in the pocket, keeping his eyes downfield. And he also had a completion to one Marvin Mims, who were all kind of waiting on pins and needles to do something, like poking him with a stick here. Would be nice. Um, Or at least poking Sean Payton with a stick. Like, hey, hey, this guy's pretty good at football. Maybe we should get him the ball a little bit more. Um, Anyway, Marvin Mims, he has since his snap rate increase that trend kind of continued in this week so this is more now we have a three four game sample of marvin mims actually uh, being on the field which the fantasy production should come the one play i was referencing is um russell wilson six seven seconds in the pocket dancing around keeps his eyes downfield and they actually went to the Amazon, whatever they showed kind of the (laughs) cone of where he's looking. Right. And he's, (laughs) he's scanning the field and he settles on Marvin Mims who did a good job settling into zone coverage and completed like a 12, 13 yard pass. Uh, But that was like under severe pressure. And that kind of was the theme here is Russ was able. And the, the, the Denver offensive line had a great game. Um, I don't want to sell them short, when you're going up against a Cleveland pass rush that is in heavy man coverage that is getting in your face, Russ kind of proved today, I think, the the blueprint to combat that. And it was him extending the play with his legs, keeping his eyes downfield, and that's kind of where those rushing attempts came from. Makes a lot of sense. And, yeah, especially if you're not going to allow him to really cut loose as a passer, he's got to make plays somehow because it can't be all this backfield with – 
It's just not a very dynamic backfield. Jonathan Williams maybe could be turned into more dynamic back, but got to have playmaking ability from somewhere. So, you know, you're not getting it from Marvin Mims. You're not allowing it from Marvin Mims yet. So as shocking as it was to see 11 carries for 34 yards, I agree with your breakdown. And he doesn't need to be like Josh. He can be like inefficient. A quarterback, you want to average like at least five to six yards per carry. But three to four, I feel like would be kind of valuable from Russ just to add some other element to this offense without much explosive playmaking ability. Yeah. Any final word on this game? I mean, it was... Yeah, Cortland Sutton was kept out of the end zone for the first time in six weeks, which is pretty remarkable. Oh um, that that <laughs> said, it, it was on 22 Russell Wilson pass attempts, and he did see an end zone target. Um, but this is a guy who has emerged as the clear alpha on this offense. He is His route tree has also grown from years past where he was playing this kind of prototypical X-type wide receiver which is interesting considering Sean Payton always utilized Michael Thomas in that role. Um, he's seeing an expanded route tree and he's making good. And where he has really shined is his connection with Russell Wilson when he is scrambling. And that is, we saw it last week's touchdown with that toe tapper on the you know sideline of the end zone, which was like, whole, how did you do that? Um, that's the kind of thing that Cortland Sutton is kind of bringing to the table. So it's good to see him. I expect better fantasy performances. Obviously, he he led the team uh, in targets with six. He led the team in receiving and was kept out of the end zone for the first time in six weeks. But this is a guy who um, I expect to continue performing from a fantasy perspective here moving forward. And I agree. The, the, the Broncos have not been synonymous with shootouts this year. They've either gotten blown out early in the season or they kind of been grinding out victories of late. But at Houston, at the Chargers, at the Lions – even though the Broncos could get drawn into some shootouts and those matchups, maybe Cortland Sutton can become kind of a strong wide receiver too in those situations. So really, really good. So then the man Christmas Eve, they have the Patriots, then the chargers again. Wow. Then the Raiders, they might actually be scoring some points down the stretch. Yeah. And they might actually make this. I mean, we, we talked about the fact that there was five or six teams. Oh yeah. They're making the Cleveland Hills. It's the, it's one of the Broncos are one of them at six and five now, which is incredible. They're probably going to be the AFC's number one seed at the rate this season. <laughs> You're um, right. This this magical so, year. So we need some points from the Broncos down the stretch. We need some points from the Chargers in the second half of Sunday Night Football. No spoilers, folks. If you're listening tomorrow, this game's already over. No, I'll have seen the end of it. Uh, so, Mark, we'll <laughs> let you get back to work. I'll get back to um, moving on with the pie. Horrible segue. No segue there whatsoever. Uh, Mark, crushed it. <laughs> thanks for the time. We will catch you next week. Always, man. Thanks. We now welcome in Zach Kruger, who had the game of the day, uh, the Eagles 37-34 to 34 overtime victory over the Bills. He also had another football game that was played, the Steelers beating the Bengals 16-10. to 10. We'll get to the Steelers and Bengals in a few minutes, but we would be remiss to not begin with the Eagles outlasting the Bills. And one of the better games of the year, one of the sloppier games of the year, a lot of turnovers on both sides, a lot of really bad penalty calls on both teams in this game. The Bills fans will say they were more adversely affected than the Eagles, but Sloppy game in the rain, but a very, very high-scoring game in the rain. The Eagles emerged victorious. Just, what did you see? What stood out to you from the Eagles' offense? Because there's a lot going on in this box score, Zach. Yeah, there's, there's a lot going on in the box score. Obviously, overtime certainly juiced things up a little bit more for both sides, especially on that final 
Uh, touchdown drive in overtime by the Eagles where Jalen Hurts orchestrated a drive following a Bills field goal to lead the Eagles downfield in just a handful of plays and then capped it with a 12-yard touchdown on the ground, which proved to be the game winner for the Eagles. Um, but but the Eagles, you know, like, like you said, it was, it was a sloppy game. Actually, I got two sloppy games. I got two games, both played in the rain, that featured at times a lot of absurd football and at times just a lot of plays that you realize probably – would have been made if not for the weather. Uh, Hertz was just 18 for 31 passing in this one, 200 yards, not the best day through the air. He did happen to throw three scores, uh, one to A.J. Brown, another to uh, Devonta Smith, and then a really impressive 29-yard score to Alameda Zacchaeus, which we should maybe get into for just a moment. Um, but, but it was an otherwise relatively good day for Hertz through the air. Devonta Smith was his leading receiver, seven catches on eight targets for 106 yards and one touchdown. Smith now has, I believe it's 13 receptions for 106 or for uh, 205 yards and one touchdown over the last two weeks, while A.J. Brown has certainly kind of faded into a little bit of irrelevance during that same stretch. And that's, that's, I think, to be expected. You know, it's hard for two receivers in an offense to thrive, even receivers as good as A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith. It's kind of sometimes hard for both of them to thrive in, in you know, a, a single game. And the, the last two weeks, it's been Smith more so than it has been Brown. And that also doesn't help that the Eagles ran the ball fairly heavily in this game. 14 carries for both Hertz and DeAndre Swift, who also had 80 yards on the ground. Uh, and then two two more touches sprinkled in for both Kenny Gainwell and, and Boston Scott there. So a uh, busy day on the ground for the Eagles, which you would expect in, in kind of a, a, a sludge fest in Philly with, with just the heavy rain coming down, particularly in the second half. Um, but but the Eagles, I thought, moved the ball well at times on on the uh, on the Bills, particularly when it came mattered late. I already mentioned the uh, the touchdown that ultimately won it for the Eagles. But even even in the uh, the the final drive in regulation to force a Jake Elliott fifty nine yard field goal, which <laughs> you know you're not sure if those are going to get through. But but Hurts and the, and the Eagles came up with the requisite plays needed to move the ball downfield and get as close as they possibly could to give Jake Elliott, Elliott just enough room to to kind of knuckle in a, a, a field goal from out far and force overtime. But Hurts for, for the injuries he's dealing with, with I think they saw on the broadcast, it was a leg contusion that he's been dealing with about the past month and a half. Um, he certainly looked slowed, but it didn't stop him from getting in two touchdowns, including a 16-yard run and, and having an otherwise solid day on the ground for a player who looks slowed, but the, the Eagles also look like that team where regardless of what kind of adversity they're facing on a week-to-week basis, they're consistently doing just enough to to come out with the win and, and they did so again here yeah, you mentioned aj brown and his quote struggles he does have two touchdowns over the past three weeks only 11 111 total yards over his past three games you know for a guy who had over 125 yards in six straight games it's all it's weird it's coincided with dallas goddard leaving the lineups so we thought it would further narrow at the top of the target tree and it kind of has it's just somehow really narrowed in Devontae smith's favor I expect this to get corrected. It's been a pretty tough uh, schedule run here for the Eagles. For the past three weeks, they've beaten the Dallas Cowboys, the Kansas City Chiefs, and now the Buffalo Bills. Uh, pretty good stuff from an elite team, the defending NFC champions. And things, I mean, I'm assuming have to lighten up here as I filibuster and pull up the schedule. And uh, uh, oh, uh, well, 40, quite, 49ers. Uh, good luck. 49ers. Good luck and then the, then the Cowboys again. What is going on here? This is. An absolute murderer's row. Uh, the, the Eagles are being forged in the fire. After the exact opposite last year, we're down the stretch. They were facing every backup quarterback in the history of the NFL. 
So pretty impressive stuff from the Eagles. I wish it wasn't unimpressive from the Bills. A totally nuclear fantasy effort from Josh Allen. 339 oh, yeah. yards passing. Two touchdowns. Nine for 81 and two on the ground. Just, again, just nuking. He had the one really costly turnover, though. Uh, what did you see from the Bills' offense? As what I saw, Steph Diggs' slump kind of deepening, although he did have six catches, 74 yards, and a touchdown. Just now going on like two months without reaching 100 yards. Gabe Davis leads in receiving. I just kind of broke it down there, but what did you see from the Bills' offense? Yeah, I have nothing else to say here, Pat. Um, <laughs> no, no, Josh Allen, it, it, it is funny when you just kind of consider some of the bad luck the Bills have run into in recent years, and it tends to come up against just just – either good teams or in big moments or a combination of both. And I think the same can be said here. The Gabe Davis touchdown that he ended up hauling in uh, late in the fourth quarter would have, by all accounts, been the game winner had it not been for the Jake Elliott field goal, uh, which um, the the Eagles essentially drove down the field, again, as far as they could with with about a minute to go in the game just to get the field goal through. Uh Gabe Davis has a seven-yard touchdown with a minute 55 left, capping a 105-yard effort from him. Uh, finished the day with six catches for 105 yards and a touchdown. You mentioned Josh Allen went absolutely nuclear throughout much of the day. Uh, that, that's very fair. 339 yards, two touchdowns. You mentioned the costly interception, uh, but his passing game was 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 overall very strong and then uh it was a lot of signature josh allen rushing plays uh two carries in particular went for 15 plus yards one of them was a a 16 yard touchdown where he juked a defender in the open field and then walks his way into the end zone from the rest of the way out uh he continues to to fool defenders on the pump fake uh when he's at the line of scrimmage he continues to fool defenders when he's past the line of scrimmage and uh they 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 don't realize that he can't even legally throw the ball and i say this is my tweet that i'm going to regurgitate it seems like a Madden glitch that has not been fixed. Uh, it, he's still getting away with the pump fake be well beyond the line of scrimmage. It, it really does. Like it, it, it's amazing that in, in a league with professional football players, you have safeties and linebackers jumping three feet in the air to stop a quarterback from throwing a football who hasn't been allowed to throw it for the last 15 yards behind uh, behind him. He, he just continues to pump fake it and, and defenders just bite on it. And as a result, you see a lot of highly efficient play from Allen on the ground. And it certainly popped up in this one. Uh, in addition to, uh, good efforts. We we hit on Gabe Davis, Stefan Diggs, six catches, seventy four yards, a touchdown on eleven targets. Not not the best day for Diggs, but certainly still a passable performance as far as fantasy goes. The one I also want to touch on is James Cook. He he missed a, what would have been about thirty yard touchdown on the first uh, drive of the game for the Bills. He ran a nicely run wheel route. He had a linebacker on him, and no linebacker in the league can probably cover. Uh, James Cook, with the exception of a few pe- a few people, uh, deep Josh Allen hit him square in the hands. He simply dropped it. He looked like he was kind of benched a little bit on the following drive. Uh, Latavius Murray kind of dominated that drive afterwards. But James Cook, 16 carries, 43 yards, another six receptions for 57 yards on seven targets, and even 100 total yards from scrimmage from James Cook on the day. A season-high 23 uh, total opportunities, also season-highs, in both targets and receptions for James Cook, who I think we could argue at least through the last two weeks has certainly benefited from the switch to Joe Brady at offensive coordinator. We'll see if that continues after the week 13 bye for the Bills. But James Cook is one of those players who is frustratingly not getting touchdowns, only three on the season, but his volume continues to be there. And 
fantasy managers who are tempted to pivot off of him because he's, he's frustrated with some lower scores because he's not getting to the end zone, I, I would encourage them to maybe stick with him and just hope that at the very least a solid PPR floor is being more solidified with Joe Brady now at the helm over these last few weeks. I think James Cook has survived his roughest moment where that Monday night benching that he came out and then had a good game. You know, back-to-back, pretty at least from a usage perspective, solid games under Joe Brady and just very clearly their best option in this backfield. And Leonard Fournette has not forced his way into a, a 53-man roster elevation. Latavius Murray is still just Latavius Murray. And the James Cook scare is over, I would say, despite – you, which you might consider a frustrating box score today where he doesn't find the end zone. Still 100 yards of scrimmage right on the dot. Yeah, I, I believe if I'm not mistaken, I did, I did the math earlier. I think I think it's, again, it's just a two-game sample size. James Cook, though, averaging 22 opportunities per game in two games with Joe Brady. Um, yes. You're starting literally any running back in the league who's getting that. So I would just continue to ride him out and hope that eventually a little bit of touchdown regression starts to hit. He's he's getting looks. He's he's getting looks down the five. He's getting looks in the red zone. Um, Josh Allen did have a short yardage score in this one, but James Cook is still getting his opportunities. At some point in time, you either have to hope they hit or a guy who's capable of breaking off a long play at any moment all of a sudden finds the end zone on one of those as well. But the 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 volume is there. He's he's not really a guy you can sit even if he is frustrating you on a week-to-week basis. Dalton Kincaid, quote, only five catches for 38 yards, which is interesting because now they go on by, and Dawson Knox could be returning in yeah. week 14. But I would be surprised if they went away from this Dalton Kincaid thing because it has been working, and he's a first-round pick, and they should keep doing it. They they should. Um, they should. This is not Arthur Smith running the team. He the, the the Bills should continue to play their first round picks, and the Pittsburgh Steelers should continue to fire Matt Canada. Uh, they fired Matt Canada once. Kenny Pickett came out. I had to look it up. Two hundred seventy eight yards. This is the second most ever in a game, which is very sad, but also pretty good sign that they fire the offensive coordinator and he comes out and has one of his better compiling games of his career. Of course. No, uh, quote, tutties in this game. Still not getting the tutters, but he did get the victory, 16 to 10. Total run game commitment again from the Steelers, 33 total carries, 153 yards. We'll get to what very little we saw from the Bengals' offense in a minute. But what did you see from the Steelers' offense in the first game without Mr. Matthew Canada? Uh, yeah, so I mean, the first thing that obviously stands out, we know that Pat Firemuth has been hampered with injuries off and on. I think, if I'm not mistaken, it was Firemuth who had a hamstring injury, went on injury reserve, and then injured his hamstring almost immediately afterwards and went back on injury reserve in his first game back. But Firemuth, for all the uh, pain that he has been through this season, through some of the pain that fantasy managers have been through this season and, and, and holding him and hoping that he eventually amounts to something that we can use in fantasy, we finally saw that. In the first week without Matt Canada, so in his first five games uh, on the season, Frymuth had one, one, three, three, zero, and one, um, and that's now six games as I do the math in my head. Reception, uh, Frymuth was not catching any passes of note. He was very frustrated for fantasy managers, and then out of nowhere, in one game without Matt Canada, he emerges for nine catches for 120 yards on 11 targets obviously all these numbers led the Steelers by a fairly wide margin Uh, he had two receptions of over 20 yards he was utilized early in the middle of the field um, and really just kind of I think set the tone for for the Steelers in the in the receiving game early on he looked good on his first few connections with Kenny Pickett Pickett obviously looked at him frequently uh, in the passing game as as he needed to 
the 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 second closest receiver in terms of yards was George Pickens. He had 58 yards, which is uh, buoyed largely by a 43 yard reception late in the fourth quarter. And then Deontay Johnson had 50 receiving yards, which uh, again a that that total was significantly raised by a 39 yard reception in the first half. So not a lot really going on for Steelers receivers there who both kind of saw decent yardage totals boosted by a one very long reception. Uh, but, but it was Frymuth who was the most consistent target uh, of, of the Steelers pass catchers on, on the week. And it'll be interesting to see if that continues in the next week. Um, now that we've kind of gotten a look at it and seen what he's capable of doing. I'm interested too, on Monday when you dive in the data and just, See, like um, kind of like the the A dot type stuff, or just like the true target share. Not tar- we know the target share already. Like the route shares, the snap shares, because something was different without Matt Canada. And this is a Bengals defense that gives up a lot of big plays, but a lot more big plays. At least three receivers had a twenty nine yard catch for the Steelers, and so that means a lot of a lot of Kenny Pickett's production came in only three attempts. Uh, but still, just to see any sort of explosive element for the Steelers was very nice. And uh, in the, the running game, it just looks like total status quo, like 50-50 committee right down the middle for Najee Harris and Jalen Warren. Is that accurate? Uh, yeah, I think I think if I'm not mistaken, it was, I'm looking now, 16 total opportunities for uh, Warren, 15 opportunities for Najee Harris. It was, however, Najee Harris leading the, uh, the Steelers' backfield in rushing yards. He had 99 to Warren's 49. He also managed to find the end zone. Jalen Warren did not. But the early reports that we saw through early on after Canada was fired and even, even throughout the week leading literally right up to kickoff that, that were suggested that Warren and and, uh, and George Pickens would both be getting more looks with the new offensive coordinator, that that didn't appear to to really be the case. And and I don't think that it's going to be as much as of a, a – I, I am a stan for Jalen Warren. I firmly established myself as such, <laughs> and I've, I've attempted to – to speak his production uh, into existence. I've attempted to speak more touches into existence, but Najee Harris for, for all of his faults is still the big bruising running back that I think the Steelers and Mike Tomlin in particular have, have always loved to have that. There's a reason they drafted him with the 24th overall pick a few years ago. He's not the most efficient back. He probably won't ever be the efficient back that we want, want to see for fantasy. Certainly not the pass catcher when you have Warren in the backfield, but I, I have a hard time believing that as long as he's on the roster, the Steelers just going to fully move off of him and commit to Warren, even though, there's not really an argument to be had as far as which is the more efficient back after you know two years of seeing both players in the same backfield. He's more efficient, but they're going to need a lot of run game volume. So I do kind of understand why they're sticking with the committee, even if and that as well. We are frustrated with who gets the lion's share of the work. I am not surprised it's committee. I don't even know what to say about the Bengals' offense. Jake Browning he wasn't the worst quarterback performance we've seen all year, but he sparked exactly one guy, Jamar Chase, four catches for 81 yards. Backfield had absolutely nothing going against the Steelers. 11 team carries for 25 yards. No one else producing in the passing game beyond Jamar Chase. Is there really even anything to say uh, for this post-Joe Burrow Bengals offense, which kind of disappears DOA? Yeah, it's really funny when you look at what Jake Browning did on the day. 227 yards on 26 attempts, one touchdown, one interception. You have Jamar Chase with a 31-yard reception, Chip Mixon with a 39-yard reception, and then also Trent Irwin with a a 25-yard reception. Um, I I think Chase also snuck in another catch of like 25 yards. So you've got about four completions that that make up for almost 50% of, of Jake Browning's yards, which it took him 26 attempts just to get to. The Joe Mixon 
39 yard reception was on a screen pass. It, it was a lot of what you would expect to see where it was, it was a lot of safe passes, a lot of check downs, his, his, his longest pass of the day up until the point where Mixon had the 39 yard reception uh, late in the fourth quarter was on a 31 yard reception with Jamar chase. I'm not sure if you saw the video, but it was, it was a batted ball in the air that was probably only traveled about eight to 10 yards past the line of scrimmage. It wasn't a long pass by any means. It got batted up in the air by a defender. Jamar chase stuck with it, found it and, and basically created about 20 plus yards after the catch to, to give Browning the 31 yard reception. It was a, it was a complete do it all effort by chase on that play. And Browning is just going to be a guy who's probably going to unfortunately limit the offenses upside through the rest of the season. We saw 10 points uh, this week. Obviously, it was against a good Steelers uh, defense, but uh, it, it was pretty much what you'd expect. I'd actually say it was probably better than I expected. He only managed one interception in this game. Uh, we'll, we'll see if he's able to continue with that going forward in a game uh, you know that was relatively close. It's not going to always be this this one sport game where you can kind of play it safe. At some point in time, he's going to have to air, air it out when teams are putting up points on the Bengals. I'd say you broke it down well. I'd say you broke down your entire slate well. Mr. Zach Kruger, he'll be online all day Monday blurbing for rotorworld.com. Always a lot of really good stuff, a lot of good articles on the site. Uh, Zach, thank you so much. We will talk to you later. Thank you, sir. Have a good one. Mr. Lawrence Jackson is going to bring us home tonight. He had one of the more surprising results, I feel like, of Week 12. I believe the Rams were favored against the Cardinals, Lawrence, but they were not favored to beat them 37-14 to and basically mercilessly beat them down. Kyron Williams came back and was just piling up yards from scrimmage. Uh, he, he only out-carried Royce Freeman 16-13, to but just totally outgained him. Matthew Stafford, who had barely had any multi-score starts all year, had four touchdowns. Uh, what was going on with the Rams' offense? How, how are they humming to, well, they, to well, the degree that they were in Arizona? Well, they playing the Cardinals. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> so is that why? Some, you know, um, if you go back several weeks ago when, uh, you know, Joe Burrow was struggling – and then he came into Arizona and lit them up. And Jamar Chase had a game of almost 200 there. But actually, in this game, it was it was kind of odd because, uh, you know, Stafford threw the four touchdowns, none of them to wide receivers. Like, I know. What is going none on? None whatsoever. They didn't have that many explosive plays in the passing game. They had one uh, deep ball to – Tutu Atwell, but other than that, it was just methodically uh, moving the moving down the field and really using everybody. You'll see that Tutu Atwell led the team in receiving, and he got more than half that on uh, on one reception. And then, other than that, the next best receiver for them was Kyron Williams, who. You know they had a they had a nice play set up for him uh, out the backfield, a nice little uh, screen played in. He'd run the flare outs and he just made most of every opportunity. When we talk about Connor on the other side, like he had four receptions, but he was getting stopped at the line of scrimmage every time. That wasn't the case for. Uh, Kyron Williams, but uh, Matthew Stafford, do you know he – I mean, you'll see the four touchdowns, but you also see it was for only 229 yards, and that shows you that they kind of just, you know, they methodically moved down the field, and Kyron Williams clearly had a big part of the offense 
needing only 16 carries to go for 143 yards. Hit 206 yards from scrimmage for Kyron Williams. And like you said, Matthew Stafford, maybe just like a positive regression in the touchdown department where uh, he couldn't continue to throw as few of touchdowns as he was throwing. With it's, He's not seeing like a ton of volume, but he's seeing enough volume to throw like one and a half touchdowns per week, and he was not even doing that. Um, but yeah, just kind of a totally yeah, different – This game with nine touchdown passes and eight interceptions. Yeah, not great. Um, but just kind of – Kyron Williams seemed like he just refreshed the whole offense, renewed yeah, the yeah. whole operation. Like, was it as simple as that too? I know you said it was the Cardinals, but – Kyron Williams really adding some life to the backfield. Yeah, and, and I don't think that, uh, you know, Royce Freeman and Daryl Henderson, I don't know if they, they wouldn't have been able to perform like this. Like, Royce Freeman did well, um, but the the Rams running game just overall did well. We, we know the Cardinals are one of the worst rushing defenses in the league, in fact. You know, the last time Kyron Williams played, it was against these same Cardinals. Was it really? Where, I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, he, he where he ran for 158 before he had the uh, the ankle injury. So, you know, he's Kyron Williams has got the uh, the Cardinals number this season. He does, man. Yeah, you are not kidding. He is detonated the Cardinals. Uh, so hopefully, uh, who do they have next week? Um, the Rams in week 13. They got the, they got the Browns. Oof. And then the Ravens. So we're going to get, we're going to see what Kyron Williams is made of. And, uh, if this is a Cardinals fluke or if they have found finally their, their, their post Todd Gurley backfield option, uh, the Cardinals, we got some usable box scores. At least we got a passing touchdown. We got a rushing touchdown from Kyler Murray. Finally heated up his connection with Marquise Brown a little bit, who was banged up. Six catches for 88 yards. Trey McBride kept the PPR points coming with seven receptions for 60 yards. But yeah, how, how did the Cardinals only manage two touchdowns and really not ever compete in this game? They're losing 21 to eight well, at halftime, 24 to eight going into the fourth quarter. Well, they were, uh, they got, I think, uh, oh yeah, Rams scored first. Cardinals went back down and uh, scored. They went for two. They were leading eight to seven, and that was pretty much it. They got behind really early by a lot. Um, so most like you'll see Hollywood with the twelve targets. You'll see uh, you'll see uh, Greg Dortch with nine targets. Oh my gosh! Um, can't be stopped. Yeah, McBride. So a lot of that was them just trying to come back into the game, which is why James Conner who averaged four and a half yards per carry couldn't run the ball because they were just trying to play catch up. And luckily we didn't get any turnovers with the, we didn't get multiple turnovers from Kyler Murray with him throwing the ball 45 times. But Kyler Murray took some deep shots to Marquise Brown, like at least three. Um, One of them was kind of underthrown. One of them, he had to play, he had to play some defense. Uh, but he was definitely looking his way, and he, he looked his way early too. Um, but a lot, half of that was, you know, they're down by twenty, then they're down by thirty. So you have to throw the ball to uh, get back in the game. Yeah, to your point, down twenty-one to eight at halftime, thirty-one to eight m- moments into the fourth quarter, thirty-seven to eight midway through the fourth quarter. So I, 
I assume maybe some of these volume stats were lying for the Cardinals. And it very yeah, much like, I, I don't know how much we're going to see Greg Dortch with nine targets, especially, you know, when Michael Wilson comes back. Uh, we really need Michael Wilson back. We want that downfield element opposite Marquise Brown. And we just want downfield production of any kind. So it is nice to hear that he at least took a few deep shots to Hollywood Brown. Uh, Greg Dortch has significantly out-targeted Rondale Moore. Yeah. Each of the past two weeks. Yeah. With this volume and this game script for the Cardinals, it was shocking to see that, uh, you know, Rondale Moore wasn't involved more. (laughs) (laughs) No pun intended. Actually, pun intended. I mean, why not? Um, We're at the very end of the show. And, yeah, the Cardinals, we just hope they don't go off the rails down the stretch. We want – Kyler Murray to build some momentum heading into the offseason. And we want fantasy points. I want Marquise Brown to finally get going. And they got the Steelers, though. Their defense is kind of rallying a little bit. Then they have the 49ers. Yeah, it's uh, going to be going to be gonna get a little tougher for them down the stretch. It is going to get a little tougher. They do have the Bears on Christmas Eve. Not a lot of rushing, no rushing production from Kyler Murray either outside of the touchdown that he had. Other than that, he didn't uh, – he didn't have any room to run today. Man, the Cardinals have a bye in week 14, by the way. What is up with the scheduling? You, you really think a week 14 bye is useful, NFL? Uh, nah, it no. ain't. I'll tell you where it ain't useful, fantasy. No, no. the Cardinals and Commanders, there are two teams on bye in week 14. And this, uh, you can, those, those are some people's quarterbacks. This Kyler's way. definitely mine in some leagues. My, my too, in my most important dynasty league. So uh, we'll miss you that week, Kyler. Uh, we were not missing you, Lawrence Jack. We will be missing you next week. Uh, you're going to be on assignment. Um, I hear you might be trying to check out uh, some New York football jets. And who are they playing next week? I forget. The Falcons? Yeah. So, so Lawrence you got is a- Timmy Boyle. <laughs> yeah. Desmond Ritter. Yeah. Lawrence is going to be checking out some NFL football <laughs> in New in New Jersey, America. Uh, so we won't talk to you next week, but we'll talk to you two weeks from now. We talk to everyone tonight. Thank you so much to Denny Carter, to Kyle Dvorak, to Eric Samalski, to Aditya Foldiore, Mark Garcia, Zach Kruger, and of course Lawrence Jackson. Keep it locked to Rotorworld.com all week. A lot of news on Monday. There's some injuries this week. Uh, Lawrence, you have your article going up on Monday too, correct? Yep, yep. Stock up, stock down. Check out Lawrence's stock up, stock down article. Check out my Sunday aftermath article. Just check it all out. Rotoworld.com is the place to be. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back later this week. I won't let my active psoriatic arthritis joint symptoms define me. Emerge as you. Tremphia guselkumab is proven to significantly reduce joint pain, stiffness, and swelling in adults with active psoriatic arthritis. Some patients even reported less fatigue as assessed by survey one week prior. Results may vary. Tremphia is taken by injection six times a year after two starter doses at week zero and four. Serious allergic reactions may occur. Tremphia may increase your risk of infections and lower your ability to fight them. Before treatment, your doctor should check you for infections and tuberculosis. Tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms of infection including fever sweats chills muscle aches or cough tell your doctor if you had a vaccine or plan to emerge as you learn more about tremphia including important safety information at tremphia.com or call 1-877-578-3527 see our ad in food and wine magazine for patients prescribed tremphia cost support may be available the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? 
Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.